All of us have something to lose. The question is, if we were to lose it, or, or perhaps when we lose it, would we be able to go on without it? This is the very question that Beethoven was forced to wrestle with. Beethoven spent most of his life in absolute fear of losing his hearing. Beethoven, one of the most incredible composers of his time, definitive in his scores that he wrote for us, so incredibly well-known, and yet he lived most of his life in fear of losing his hearing because he was, in fact, losing his hearing. Now, this is understandable, right? I mean, hearing would seem to be an essential thing for composing music. And so when Beethoven finally realized that he was, in fact, losing his hearing, and when the day came when he finally did absolutely lose his hearing, he was devastated. He fell into a deep depression. He wrote letters to friends uh, desiring to end his life. He was in deep despondency. And yet history tells us that something happened. Beethoven didn't take his life. In fact, what he found after losing his hearing was a whole new lease on life. Some of his best music came after he lost his hearing. It seems almost impossible. And yet what Beethoven came to realize in the wake of losing his hearing is that with all of the sounds of the world gone, the melodies only became stronger in his mind. So Beethoven, some of his, his best work came late in his life after he had lost his hearing. See, all of us have something to lose. And man, are we ever feeling that right now? We're feeling the loss of so many things, so many things that we counted on, so many things that we looked to. Some of us feel the loss of people. Some of us feel the loss of freedom. Some of us are grappling with worry over the loss of a career, the loss of work. Some of us are worried about the loss of health. There's so many things that we fear in this season. And the question is, if we lose it, could we go on without it? Here's the thing. It's not until we're faced with the prospect of losing something that we realize exactly how important that thing has become to us. It's often not until we finally lose something, like Beethoven lost his hearing, that we finally realize how much we had come to depend on it, to lean on it, even seek life from it. Over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into a new conversation, a new series on good things that we have a tendency to turn into and make God things. See, anytime we make good things too great of a thing, that is a bad thing. Thing. And here's why, because anytime we look to something to sustain us or to satisfy us outside of God, then that thing that we look to to sustain and satisfy us actually becomes our God. When a good thing becomes to us a God thing, we end up living for the wrong thing. The Bible calls this idolatry. Now, we think idolatry is this archaic thing, right? We, we have this picture of ancient people bowing down to idols or dancing in order to make it rain. And we tend to think in our civilized culture now that we've grown beyond that. We've graduated from that. Yet I love how one author put it. He said, we aren't beyond idolatry. We simply dress it up in different clothes. Maybe you think that we've graduated from that, but here's the reality. 
In our day and age, we look to things to satisfy us. We look to careers to define us. We look to relationships to fill us or complete us. We look to science to rescue us or technology to entertain us. Each of us looks to different things to satisfy or secure us. And that's the very definition of an idol. Here's our working definition of idolatry then. Idolatry, simply defined, is seeking satisfaction or security in anything outside of God. Or to put it another way, it's seeking an eternal satisfaction from a material source. It's seeking eternal satisfaction from a material source. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these good things that we have a tendency to turn into God things. And we're going to look at why that's a bad thing. And we're going to look then even more so at how do we steer our hearts back towards the only thing that can truly sustain us. And this week, we begin that conversation with what we possess. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke is in the New Testament, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, then pull it up on your smartphone or whatever device you're looking at. If you're on our church online platform, you can even use the tabs and click over and pull up Luke 12 in the Bible tab. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. I'll read it for you and we'll put it on the screen so that you can follow along if you don't have it in front of us. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 says this, Someone in the crowd said to him, being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying this, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So Luke sets up the scene for us. Earlier in chapter 12, we see that thousands have gathered around Jesus. It says in verse 1 of chapter 12, when so many thousands of the people had gathered, they were trampling one another. They're pressing in around Jesus, almost falling on top of each other, trying to get near to him. It's in the midst of this that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, and you can picture the scene of how chaotic it must have been, how difficult it must have been for Jesus to teach these twelve with thousands watching and pressing in, wanting healing, wanting to hear his words. It's in the midst of this moment then that one man, closer to Jesus it would seem, speaks up and he cries out to Jesus in verse 13. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this may seem like a strange request, but understand from their context and their culture, this was a really big deal. See, an inheritance was given to the firstborn 
son. The bulk of the inheritance went to the firstborn. Why? Because the firstborn was responsible for carrying the rest of the family. It was the firstborn's responsibility to take up all of the family land and to secure and protect it. It was the firstborn's responsibility to provide for the family members, to keep the family business going, and provide for all the relatives connected to this family. It all fell on the firstborn, and so the bulk of the inheritance went to the firstborn, not to spend, but to serve. But here suddenly you have this other child, another son, entering the picture, and he's complaining because he feels he should get more. He wants some of what traditionally, culturally, would never be given. So he says to the teacher, teacher, force him to divide this with me. You get this picture that he wants half. Instead of the bulk going to the firstborn to care for everyone, he wants half for himself. Now notice something about this guy. He obviously understands that Jesus has authority because he's asking Jesus to make this ruling, make his brother do this. So he recognizes Jesus has the authority. The problem is he wants Jesus to use that authority to bless him materially. And if I'm honest, this is where the scriptures start getting really convicting to me. I mean, how often do we ask God to use his authority to bless us materially. God, if you care about me, if you care about my family, why can't we have a bigger house? God, if you care about me, why won't you provide me a better job? Why won't you provide me more of an income? The problem for this man is, instead of embracing the Son of God who's standing right in front of him, he's actually trying to embrace his inheritance, a greater portion than he is due which shows in this moment that his God is actually his inheritance. And Jesus sees this. Jesus wants more for us and he wants more for this man than this. And so Jesus says to him in verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Like, why are you dragging me into this thing that you want? And from there, he then turns to the crowd. He says to them, his disciples and the crowd listening, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Listen to that again. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus' point is simple. Life is more than what we possess. Life is more than what we have and what we can hold on to. Jesus in this moment is shining a light on the idol of possessions, the idol of money, the idol of inheritance, the idol of stuff. This idol whispers in our ear. It says, I'll finally be happy if, fill in the blank, or when I get more of, fill in the blank. Whatever that is to you, whatever that is to me. This idol whispers in our ear, I'll finally be happy when we have land. I'll finally be happy our family will finally work when we have more square footage. Or, or everything would be perfect if we just had a pool. Or, or, or my life would be easier and better and I'd finally be settled if I just made a little bit more. Or I just made this much money. Or I made this rank. 
then everything would be set. See, what that's an indication of is that we're putting our satisfaction, our security into something that was never designed to give it to us. It's depending on something material to give us this eternal satisfaction. Think about this man. He is staring at God in the flesh, Jesus with us. And yet the thing he's really wanting to satisfy him is money. It's stuff. Here's the thing. If God alone is not enough, then nothing else will be. That's the point. If God alone is not enough, if Jesus with us is not enough, nothing else will be. To expect anything other than God to satisfy our soul is to expect a material thing to somehow satisfy an eternal craving. It just won't work. To explain all of this, then Jesus tells this story, the story in verse 16 of a wealthy landowner. His land produces plentifully, which means he has this massive bounty, so much so that his current barns and storehouses can't hold it all. So Jesus says, he says to himself, I will tear these barns down. I will build bigger barns. This guy has more goods than he has space for, more cars than garages. He has more stuff than square footage. So he says, I will build more to store it all. And then I'll be able to say to myself, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Trusting that I have everything now that I need for as long as I need it. Except Jesus says in verse eight or verse 20, God says to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? All this stuff that you stored up and held onto for your security, whose will they be? Jesus is reinforcing again this fact that life is more than what we have and hold on to. A couple of weeks ago, uh, at the start of this whole pandemic and this, this shelter-in-place thing, uh, we pulled out some games, and one night we played the game of life. Remember the game of life? The game of life is where you try to amass as much as possible. You build your life. And so you seek the best education. You seek the best job. You seek to cram as many kids in the car as possible because that will pay you later. You seek houses. In the new game that we have now, you can even seek prizes and bonuses. All of it ends then when you pull up to a mansion and you can choose the kind of life you want to retire into. And so we retire into a mansion and then you count up everybody's stuff and whoever has the most stuff at the end of the game wins. But here's the funny thing. At the end of the game, all of it goes back in the box. After counting it all up and declaring a victor in our family, all of that stuff went back in the box. John Ortberg originally used this illustration. He wrote a great book about it. And in that, he says this, it's not that treasures are bad, it's just that they can't last. Because when the game is over, all that matters is God's assessment of our life. When the game is over, the only thing that matters is God's assessment of our life. Because all of the stuff that we've tried to hold on to, it goes back in the box. We can't take it with us. 
This is what Jesus is pointing to for this man. It's why he tells this story. And the problem is that we, you and I, we think like this rich man. We think that if we just have enough stuff, then we'll be secure. We can eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't this, after all, why we're hoarding so much toilet paper? Because we've said to ourselves in the midst of a pandemic that if I just have enough of this stuff, I'll be fine. Except here's the thing. Toilet paper can't keep you from difficulty. This is what we forget about our life. Money can't protect you from being sick. A better neighborhood can't guarantee that your kids will always make the right decisions and never get in with the wrong crowd. A bigger house can't guarantee that your family will be happier and that your marriage will work better. Better stuff can't guard you against depression. Because the reality is, possessions can't guarantee peace. This is what Jesus is pointing us to. If God alone is not enough, nothing else will be. I mean, think about it. If the sovereign God of the universe, who is perfectly good, perfectly loving, and perfectly in control, if he can't satisfy us, and give us the security we're after, then what can? It's from this point forward then that Jesus begins to teach from verses 22 to verse 34. And he says this, verse 22, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And Jesus goes on from this point to say, hey, if you can't take it with you, if it can't secure you, then don't be anxious over it. Jesus is talking about a material anxiety. Material anxiety. There's many different kinds of anxiety, but here he's specifically talking about an anxiety over material things or the lack of material things. Material anxiety stems from seeking our security in things that are earthly. Material anxiety gets anxious about things on earth that we think can guarantee us security. If we just had this, if we had this guarantee, then I'd feel safe, I'd feel secure. That's material anxiety. And Jesus says, don't be anxious over these things. Instead, rest in the one who controls all things. It's material anxiety. And so through this passage, and I'll let you read it for yourself, through this passage, Jesus then calls us to remember a couple critical things. First, he says, remember that you are loved more than you can imagine. Remember that you are loved more than you can imagine. He says in verse 24, consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So in the midst of material anxiety, seeking security from stocking up the pantry, Jesus says, hey, time out. If God provides for the birds who can't store up toilet paper for themselves, how much more important are you to him than they are? And rest in the one who controls all things. You're more loved than you could ever imagine. Secondly, God knows what you need, he says. He says he knows what you need. 
Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and yet your Father knows that you need them. Know that you are deeply loved more than you can imagine, and know that God knows exactly what you need. He sees you, and he will provide for you. Then thirdly, he says, because of that, rest instead in his kingdom. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Instead of seeking stuff to give us security, seek God's kingdom because he loves you more than you can imagine. He knows exactly what you need. In this passage, Jesus gives us a remedy. He gives us a remedy for material anxiety, for the anxiety that comes when we don't feel secure because we don't have fill in the blank. He says the remedy for this anxiety, the remedy for material anxiety is generosity. The remedy for material anxiety, Jesus says, is generosity. He says it earlier in verse 21 when he says, who lays up, or he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, so it will be that you will lose everything. It all goes back into the box if you're seeking to lay up earthly treasure and you're not seeking to be rich towards God. The, the remedy for material anxiety then is having your eyes fixed on God and being rich towards him instead of just seeking to store things up for yourself. But also then he goes on later in this passage as he teaches his disciples. He says the remedy for material anxiety is generosity. Here's what you should do. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, and focus on things that do not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. Focus on those things. Jesus is saying, hey, when you focus on others and when you focus on God and what he's doing and rest in his kingdom, you'll be far more satisfied than just trying to store up for yourself what you think you need because you can't hold on to it. It all goes back into the box. And this is the thing that Jesus is highlighting, that so often we believe that if we just hold on to more stuff, will be secure. And Jesus is saying, if you find yourself others-focused and God-focused, that's where true security lies. I realize this comes at a sensitive season. Some of you are feeling lost. You've lost work. You've lost resources. Hear us say this. We as a church have set aside resources to help you. If you find yourself in financial need, if you find yourself just needing help on some front because you've lost work in this season, please reach out to us. Because here's what we're doing as a church. Even though our livelihood relies on your generosity, we're seeking to be generous to God and generous to others by setting funds aside in this season so that we're not focused on ourselves, but we're seeking to be rich towards God and rich towards you. If we can help you in this season, we want to know. Use the prayer link. Contact us through the website. And here's the thing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start talking to you and giving you opportunities to join us in helping others in our community. We're going to press in and lean in in this season to serve those who are struggling, to serve those in need. Why? Because the antidote to material anxiety is generosity. And we want to have our eyes fixed on God because we trust that God will provide for his people. I do a lot of funerals, sadly, 
Here's the funny thing about the funerals that I do. Of all the funerals I've attended, hundreds and hundreds of funerals now in, in my career as a pastor, I have never once heard someone get up and give a financial audit of the person who's passed. I've never once heard someone get up and say, hey, here's how much money so-and-so had in their checking or their savings or in their retirement account when they died. Let's all applaud that. I've never heard that before. I've never heard anybody get up and give a financial audit or a possession audit. Here's all the things he owned. Here's all the things that he loved. The reality is in that moment, none of that matters because that person isn't taking any of it with them. But here's what I have heard over and over again in hundreds and hundreds of services. I've heard things like this. He was so generous. She would stop whatever she was doing. He would give his shirt off his own back to help you. She would lay everything down and run to come and care for you. Hundreds and hundreds of times, the things that's remembered of us and of others at the end of our lives is how we've given our lives away, not how we've sought to store everything up for ourselves. Here's the thing. If God alone is not enough, nothing else will be. And the remedy for our anxiety then is generosity. Our eyes fixed on God and a heart to serve others more than to store things up for ourselves. So what's the takeaway in this? I think there are two simple takeaways that I want to challenge you to as we close. Two simple takeaways. First, surrender. Just like we talked about at Easter, just like we talk about all the time at Northeast, we have to take up a posture of surrender. We do not control our lives. We cannot control our future. Only God does and can. So in this moment, can I challenge you to a posture of surrender right now and to ask God this. Ask the Father, Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm holding on tighter than you? Anything that I'm holding to tighter than you? And Father, would you help me to ease my grip on those things and to cling more tightly to you? Would you be willing to pray that prayer? Would you be willing to ask God that? Is there anything I'm holding on to more tightly than you? Maybe for you, it's something you own. Maybe for you, it's a picture of the future. Maybe for you, it's a rank or a career or perhaps money. What you have saved up or what you think you need to have saved up. Is there anything I'm holding on more tightly to than you? And Father, would you help me cling more to you than anything else? So first, surrender. But then secondly, serve. Take up the posture of a servant. Would you be willing today to ask God this? Is there anyone around me that I need to be serving? And Father, would you open my eyes to the needs of those around me? And can I just challenge you this week to fight the material anxiety the pressure of having enough stuff right now. To fight that by going across the street to your neighbor and just knocking on the door and asking, hey, is there anything that you need? And be willing to meet that need, trusting that God will meet your need. And maybe they won't need anything, but at the very least they know that you have reached out. And if there is anything that they need, they can come to you. This is what we mean when we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus. 
going and serving, going and loving. So would you be willing today to take up that posture of surrender? Would you be willing to ask God to make you a servant? That posture of surrender and that posture of being a servant begins when we place our faith in Jesus over and above anything else. When we let go of the things that we've looked to for security and satisfaction, and instead we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you've not ever taken that step, and you recognize today you've been holding on to other things, then would you today be willing, as we close, to place your faith in Jesus? So as we close, would you pray along with me wherever you are? And if you don't know where to begin in that conversation with God, would you just pray these simple words along with me now? Father, I confess, I have been looking to other things to satisfy me, other things, Father, for security. But today, Father, I lay those aside and I place my faith in you and you alone. Father, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of holding on to lesser things. I choose you and I ask your forgiveness of my sin. I ask that you change me from the inside out. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, we would love to know and we would love to encourage you. You can reach out to us because we have a gift for you. and We'd love to encourage you in your first steps of faith. But for us all, let's head into this week seeking to surrender ourselves to God and seeking to be servants to those around us. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.